Hello everyone, this is Mike Quincy connecting the light. My guest today is Stephen Sindoni, researcher, author and filmmaker who is researching the legend of J.C. Brown who in 1904 is said to have found the entrance to an 11 mile tunnel leading under Mount Shasta to the lost civilization of Lemuria. I'm very excited to have this opportunity to speak to you, Stephen, because Lemuria, Atlantis, and those type of things are of great interest to me. So welcome to the program. Well, I thank you very much, Michael, for having me today. It's my pleasure to be on with you today. That's great. Uh, how long have you been involved in this quest to date? Well, it started in late of December of 2007. I had just finished writing a screenplay, and it was at that time I decided to spend a couple hours on the Internet to search for an interesting story that I could write about. And as fate would have it, I stumbled upon The Legend of J.C. Brown, reading a short excerpt from a book written from author Emily A. Frank entitled Mount Shasta, California's Mystic Mountain. And I instantly became fascinated by it. Right. Uh do you think that you might well have been chosen to follow this path because your experiences seem to be uh, uh, most fortunate in the way that you eventually got to the point where you believe you might have rediscovered the cave, although it's been sealed off? Yes. Mm -hmm. I, uh, as soon as I got involved following this story, uh, it was as though I had a sixth sense about it, as though I had first-hand knowledge and how it all happened and how it all unraveled. It's, it's almost like a psych, psychic detective how this all came to play, and I would love to share it with your audience today. Yes. Well, that is my feeling. I, I don't think these uh, things happen in life purely by chance, and I'm sure uh, you're right that there is some sort of psychic... Uh, drive that keep, keeps you going towards this goal. Now, when did you first pick up on the legend of J.C. Brown? Well, as I said, as I began to say, December of 2007, after reading the short mm. excerpt, I found five clues on the internet mm. regarding the legend, uh, the man of the legend. Uh, he claimed he was a geologist. Uh, he claimed he worked for the Lloyd Cowdray Mining Company uh, his whole entire career. So there was a couple of things that that I, I got out of the uh, initial legend. So I decided I was going to spend a couple of weeks in the New York Public Library to research the clues and see what I would come up with with the five clues that I had read in a short excerpt over the Internet. And uh, once, you know, running down the five clues, at first I thought that I was going to be writing a... Uh, a story about a maverick, a con man, someone who had uh, come to town and spent a, a large yarn about Lemuria and uh, taken a lot of money from the people that he had, you know, uh, sat down for six weeks uh, and wanted to take on an expedition. But lo and behold, yeah. what I found out was that, A, there was a Lord Cowdray mining company. B, there was a man who was named Lord Cowdray. There was a company that existed. And once I found these things out, I realized, wait a minute, I'm on to something here. Maybe this isn't, you know, a man showing up in uh, Stockton, California in 1934. And 
you know, being a crook or a thief, maybe this man really did find the things that he stated that he did. Hmm. Uh, you, you actually, of course, found out that he was quite straight and honest in his dealing uh, dealings with the people at Stockton. Uh, you might tell us perhaps a little bit about that. I know it's looking at uh, a later part of the story, but that would be of interest because it's a key happening, isn't it, to say the least? Yes, well, what happened was uh, is that J.C. Brown, as he called himself uh, in 1934, shows up in the office of the editor of the Stockton Record and uh, tells, uh, he spins the yarn and tells the, uh, the editor of the paper that 30 years earlier, that while working for the Lord Cowdray Mining Company of England, that he noticed the section of the rock that didn't jive with the formation of the real mass. And at that point, he decided to uh, remove the rock, and he found that there was a tunnel and which curved downward and three miles from the mouth of the tunnel, which was seven feet wide and ten feet high, he struck a cross-section containing gold-bearing ore that an ancient civilization he believed had uh, mined. And then further on, he struck another cross-section that apparently had mined copper in it. So at this point, he's in this tunnel, and three miles into the tunnel, he's finding you know, ancient uh, gold-bearing ore that was uh, done by an ancient civilization. So at this point, he realized that the air in this one section was pretty bad because he's now three miles deep into this tunnel. Mm -hmm. And he declined another eight additional miles, which now had brought him 11 miles inside the mountain and approximately 2,300 feet from the surface. So he had, you know, measurements to, to, to measure distance because he was a geologist by trade. And what he found next was what he called the village. And this is the interesting part of the story. What he, came up, what he found was rooms. He found two rooms that were 20 feet long and wide, and they were filled with copper and gold tablets. The tablets were three to four inches in concave, and they were laid inside one another. The rooms that he found were, were literally full of plates inscribed neatly, he found rooms containing many weapons, and the weapons were interesting because they were, in his words, tempered copper spears, and they could be bent from the head of the weapon to the base of the shaft, and they would spring right back into place. So he marveled at the, the technology that he found there uh, in these rooms. But what was interesting was that he claimed that when he said village, that there were streets were laid out like, like a little village there. And one of the rooms... Uh, he found 27 skeletons, the smallest of which, Mike, was uh, 6 feet 6 inches, and the tallest was more than 10 feet tall. So here he's got the remains of uh, the tall ones or, uh, or an ancient civilization uh, of uh, height, you know, not, not, not in modern-day, uh, you know, America. So here he's onto something. In another room, uh, he uh, found an embalmed, man and a woman dressed in royal robes, which he believed were king and queen of this race. So he believed he stumbled into a, uh, an ancient burial chamber, and he said the room was beautiful to behold. Uh, on the walls, he found great crosses, uh, not even of the conventional modern type, and there was a sun design worked in copper and gold, and there were streamers, and he found 13 statues in all made of copper and gold, and 
the technology he believed uh, was an important link in, in, in ancient American history. And, he, and these people, Mike, Michael, were highly skilled craftsmen uh, because that's what their work indicated. And J.B. Body or J.C. Brown was a geologist. So here's a man who studied in England for many, many years as a geologist. And so here was a man who knew about, you know, the technology, and he marveled at what he found here in this tunnel. And he believed that this ancient race used radium and... By the use of radium, they were able to temper the copper. So, you know, yes. here is an ancient race with ancient technology that he found. Right. Uh, but not, not so uh, lacking in, in skills or technology by the sound of it. Uh, do you feel that after he found the caves and he evidently visited them for a number of times, uh, which you found records of his visits there, that he must have worked to record everything he found and perhaps the drawings of the uh, artifacts and so forth. I mean, yes. have you found any evidence of that? Well, um, that, that is a part of the story I'm working on. What he had claimed in the newspaper paper article in uh, 1934, which I didn't have initially. I got that later on from uh, columnist Michael Fitzgerald of the Stockton Record, but he was kind of amazed that I was able to piece this together without, without ever having the initial 1934 article in the paper, because it was in archives, and only after I spoke to him and, and, and told him my findings did he then ask to interview me and then share with me the initial uh, newspaper article. But in the article, J.C. Brown, which this was the alias uh, that J.B. Body had given them uh, in 1934 in the newspaper when they interviewed him, claimed that in a vault in a Texas bank he had pictures of the scene and papers. Hmm. And he went on to say that his family planned to exploit the cave themselves, his wife's father, his wife, and his daughter, and, and an old college chum. He says a series of tragedies had struck him and this was interesting here. The first one died, then another. One was killed in an accident, and the others died. And he himself was hurt in an accident, then losing all heart and disambition. But he claimed he was getting back on his feet again, and if his health would hold out, you know, he would get started. He uh, arrived in, in Stockton in his late 60s, so here it is a man who claimed to have found this 30 years earlier, and now he's in Stockton in 1934, and uh, explaining to... Uh, Stockton Record editor and other people that, you know, he, he wanted to enlist a corps of trained people who he, at his own expense, would fund the expedition to go up from Stockton to Mount Shasta, and he wanted them to assist him in cataloging the specimens, and he wanted to keep the relics in the cave where he found the king and queen that were embalmed, but he said that he found two other caves that he had located, and for the people who came up with him to Stock, from Stockton to Mount Shasta, then they would get the uh, the artifacts and they would get the relics in those two caves that he had located. So that's what he had wanted for everyone uh, who had uh, he had enlisted. And after his initial conversation with uh, the Stockton Record newspaper editor, they enlisted John C. Root as the organizer, and John C. Root was a retired printer, so at his house for six weeks, twice a day, J.B. Body or J.C. Brown 
would uh, spin the tale of the things that they would find uh, up in under Mount Shasta, and that he would let them know on a specific date when the time would be right for the for them all to go up in the expedition at his expense. So people had sold their possessions. They had doctors, lawyers, prominent people of the town for six weeks that were really keyed in on uh, this old uh, English gentleman's uh, story. And they believed wholeheartedly, Michael, that, you know, everything that he said was on the level and he was telling the truth. Yes. Right. So the mystery really for you must be what he did during those 30 years from the first discovery up to the time when he set this group up in Stockton. Now, I thought, and you seem to indicate that it is possibly true, that he must have done a lot of work recording the evidence. But do I take it from what you've just said about him that he might have been aiming to, as it were, cash in on it? Because the fact he didn't appear to have done anything for 30 years suggests that he was more interested in keeping it intact. Uh, and he had a, a sort of greater idea of, of how to use it, perhaps for the benefit of everybody else. Well, what, what I learned after, after learning of his discovery as, as to who he was, I realized he was a man of integrity, a man of morals, character, and good breeding. Uh, hmm. He uh, wanted to, you know, uh, bring this find to light, but what had happened was when he came up to uh, Stockton, California, being he was a millionaire and very wealthy, uh, he had stayed in a public shelter because if anyone had known that he was really John Benjamin Body, they would have known that he was worth $40 million at that time and he was afraid of being kidnapped. Uh, he had made many trips uh, from uh, Mexico up and through Laredo borders, border, Texas, coming up to uh, the Mount Shasta area to, uh, to go into uh, the tunnel that he found. So what I needed to do was once I was able to determine that John Benjamin Body was the man, then I then had to figure out, well, why would a man who, uh, who left England in 1890 to work for the Lord Cowdrey Mining Company and uh, take a job in Mexico as a geologist and civil engineer and spend 25 years in Mexico and never be a resident of the United States, what would prompt him to come from Mexico across the border at least 13 times that I tracked him with Lord Cowdrey, the owner of the company, so verifying for me that you know they both went up there together, just as he mentioned in his legend, and with other engineers, which I'll cite. But what, what was interesting to me is, if he never lived in the United States, what was his attraction to Shasta? And this is where the psychic detective piece of the puzzle comes in. Because once I was able to determine that John Benjamin Body was, in fact, J.C. Brown, I then started to ask myself the question, okay, if it was me, how would I do it? And I realized that I looked at the train system because he came in on the uh, a Mexican steamship through Laredo, Texas, and uh, there was a train system that he got on. And I believe that they first came into the United States to go to uh, – the Shasta Springs Resort, which is up in Dunsmuir, California. So what I learned by the border crossings, there was four men initially uh, that went together with uh, J.B. Body through Laredo, Texas, 
And these four men were Lord Cowdray himself in 1904. There was W.E. Sayers and a Robert Young. And they went up there in 1904, and I believe that they stayed at the Mount Shasta Springs Resort. So I started researching this, and I ended up getting a map of the Mount Shasta Springs Resort. And what, what made this a key component for me was that Mount Shasta Resort was the place of the elite where they would go. They would go there. They, would, they, they claimed to have the best water on earth, and only the rich would go there. It had an incline railroad where once they got off the train, they'd get onto another incline railroad, which would take them up into the resort, and they would, you know, do what the elite do, just enjoy their, you know, their vacations. Uh, yes. Because these men, by uh, the year 1904, they were both already millionaires, uh, J.B. Body and, uh, his, of course, his only Lord Cowdray, when he died in 1927 in England. He was the sixth richest man in the world. So mm -hmm. here we're talking about, you know, uh, the, the top men of the world, you know, playing in their, uh, you know, uh, paradise or playgrounds. And yeah. it was at this resort that they came across this unusual rock uh, formation, basalt formation. And it was my hunch that they looked at each other and said, you know, we're civil engineers. What do you think? This rock looks unusual. We need to come back to investigate it. Well, three years later in my research, J.B. Body came back with three other engineers, Fred Kleisner, John McLaughlin and C.M. Yeomans, and it was interesting, they brought an additional man who was John Gill Martin, which was John Benjamin Body's personal ballet. So after discovering this, I says, well, I believe I figured out that initially they were up there having a good time when they came across this formation. And then so I looked deeper into the border crossings, and in 1910, what I found interesting is that John Benjamin Body, on the uh, the manifest paperwork, when asked if he had ever been in the United States, Michael, now he lies and says no. So I'm looking at the manifest. I go, wait a minute. Well, this makes interesting, you know, observation here because, yes, the reason why he said he's never been in the United States because he found something in 1907, on there on his second trip. Then the following year in 1911, I have Lord Cowdray going back into through Mexico to the United States with John Benjamin Body again. So now it's okay, now I know I've got this because now they both went back up there again because John Benjamin Body wanted to show the owner of his company, Lord Cowdray, or Sir Wheatman Pearson, as he was his birth name uh, was given in, in England, to come up there again. And they probably did a lot more research and, and uh, you know, uh, journeying through the actual tunnels and the finds that, the, that they found. Uh, I then asked myself, well, where could the bank be? Because he mentions the bank in the legend. Yeah. And uh, as I researched banks in America in that day, in Laredo, Texas, because I believed that the bank had to be in Laredo, Texas, because he was going back over the border. And going over the border, you're not sure what you could bring in or what you can't. So I determined that if it was me, I would find a bank in Laredo, Texas. And, and I did find a bank called the Laredo National Bank, which was founded around 1890. And it was on San Bernardino Avenue, which I believe that is where he had the vault with the papers and the artifacts. And when the yeah. time was right, he would go to, to the bank, get what he needed, and take it over the border. Or 
If the time wasn't right, he'd leave it there in the vault there and uh, keep it there until it was safe passage to go back over into Mexico because he lived in, in Veracruz, Mexico, where he lived and worked while he worked for the Lloyd Cowdery Mining Company. So the fact that he had been kidnapped a number of times, as he cited in the, uh, in the legend itself, he had to be very careful as to you know his movements and whereabouts, especially when he was in the United States. And the fact he was a prominent individual, he was, uh, you know, uh, very, very, you know, aware of that uh, his secret could not get out. So for him, I think, Michael, in answering your question, I think for him it was more of historical value than it was for the, uh, for the wealth that he would acquire because he was already very wealthy at this point. Yes. Uh, I, I rather guess that that would be the case. Uh, otherwise... One cannot think of any reason why he waited so long from 1904 to 1934 uh, before he appeared to do something about it. Now, you mentioned that his family, relatives or whatever, uh, sort of disappeared, if I may use the word, one by one. Do you think there was some underhand business going on and that someone else, criminally or otherwise, wanted to get their hands on it? Yes, I do. Hmm. I am a firm believer in that uh, because as I researched this further and I came out to uh, Mount Shasta to look for, you know, the back door to, to uh, Lemuria, I myself became a person of interest, and it was interesting. So I fully could identify with John Benjamin Body as to when he talked about mysterious things start happening. Uh, I'll give you an interesting tidbit. What I learned yeah. com coming out here that every president from since Grover Cleveland has fished in the waters near Mossbray Falls or near where I found this back entrance that I believe leads underneath Mount Shasta. So there yes. is a significance with this area. I'm not even I'm not sure yet, but Obama will be out here fishing in these waters in the Sacramento <laughs> River, which is right near where right. Uh, this discovery that I made is. So it's interesting that I find locals who have told me this about, you know, what it is uh, that I, uh, I have unearthed and I have found. So I know that this secret is a very big one for the, for the standpoint of if we look at just the Bering Strait theory. If the Bering Strait theory is a lie, so to speak, yeah. then it, 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 it shatters the, the existing paradigm for religion, and you can't control people unless you have something to control them blindly by. Yes. So the discovery is more than just a discovery. It, it, it eliminates the timeline, and it shows us we've been here for many, many thousands of years. And, and for that reason, I believe uh, J.B. Body or J.C. Brown knew that if this discovery had come to light, it would change the, the belief, because they wanted the, the government, American government wanted Americans to believe that the Native Americans came through a land bridge through, yes. uh, through China. They wanted them to believe that the, this is the interesting thing that I, I find laughable, that there are six mountain ranges, sub-degree sub, sub temperatures, uh, and uh, unbelievable conditions that animals, plants, font life, wildlife, would come across the Bering Straits for over 6,000 miles and make its way to North America. Mm. It just doesn't fly. <laughs> no. 
Now, that, that would be some Tsar's scheme today, I don't know, about uh, thousands of years ago. Right. Now, I can't help coming back to uh, this question of perhaps J.C. Brown or Body having been frightened off, but when he got his um, group ready at Stockton and then suddenly he disappeared, I have to think I might, to myself that perhaps he was threatened uh, that if he went ahead with it, something would happen to him and maybe he took fright. I mean, the cave was sealed, so he knew that was safe. And you actually mention that you have a belief, I don't know whether it goes beyond that, that he might have actually uh, came back to England and died here in 1938. Tell us about your findings or theory about that. Well, what had happened was when he, after he disappeared uh, in 34, uh, for whatever his reasons were, he probably was threatened because, uh, as I said, the reasons I said about the Bering Strait and, uh, yes. you know, the, the Native Americans, I mean, if it's over 300 uh, reservations that still exist in the United States, and uh, the oral tradition of the Native Americans, uh, they are descendants of the people who live below Mount Shasta and all the other mountains in the Cascade Mountain Ranges. So if this be the case and this be true, and the oral history of the Native Americans is true, then, my God, I mean, you've got to keep this under wraps because you, you have to colonize them, you've got to brutalize them, and you have to Christianize them to make yeah. them forget their, their ancient oral history. So this is uh, a big thing that I believe that uh, is why this is still under wraps. Yes. So, I mean, do you firmly believe then that he had to disappear and that he did come back to England? Well, what happened was he, he was working, as I said, uh, for the Lord Cowdery Mining Company the whole time in, uh, in Mexico. But in 1915, which was uh, when uh, he was asked to come back to, uh, to work for the London office of the Lord Cowdery Mining Company. So in 1915, when uh, the Mex Mexico took over uh, the control of the oil fields, because they, they were involved uh, with uh, a lot of work in Mexico uh, through the Lord Cowdery Mining Company. Uh, J.C. Body or J.B. Uh, J.C. Body, uh, I mean J.B. Body, worked very closely with Porfirio Diaz, the president of Mexico. They, they had projects of the drainage of Mexico. They, they put up a, a harbor works that predated by 12 years the Panama Canal, which had a railway going from the Gulf Coast of Mexico to the Pacific uh, Coast where goods and services uh, could be, you know, put on trains and distributed all over the, uh, the North American continent from the Far East. So they, uh, they beat the Americans, uh, you know, to the trade game. And uh, as a result of them building this Transistmison Railroad, as luck would have it, J.B. Body struck oil and they created the Mexican Aguila Oil Company, which later became Dutch Petroleum Shell. And that's how yes. he got rewarded by Lord Cowdray, because not only was he a great civil engineer, you know, doing all the harbor works and the things he did in Mexico, but they end up striking oil, and now they supplied, you know, uh, oil all over the world through Dutch Petroleum Shell. So this man became very, very wealthy, and he was highly regarded in America, as well as uh, in England and Mexico for, you know, for his work as a civil engineer and the things that, you know, that he had done, you know, in his lifetime. So the body of his work, you know, using uh, 
body, even though it's his name. Um, but yeah. uh, he was an accomplished, you know, a man and uh, one of uh, very respected. So I could understand why he would go back to England and realize that it's it's not worth, you know, to deal with the espionage and the things that were going on, having mm. to sneak into the country every time he wanted to come up to Shasta to yeah. uh, to go into, uh, you know, the uh, the tunnel. Right. Uh, did you actually find out during your investigations whether he still had uh, family over here? I mean, did you yes. track his... Well, yeah. In his memoirs that, that I have here in front of me, uh, he, is, he married in 1898 Mary Hammer, I guess H-A-M-E-R, and they had one daughter, and the daughter would be the one that who survived him, which I would need some help from uh, people listening to this broadcast to uh, see if they want to further this, uh, this interesting story, The Legend of J.C. Brown, but her name is Patrice. Millicent Kelton, that's K-E-L-T-O-N, and she was the daughter of Mary and John Benjamin Body, and so uh, this was, he, he passed in, uh, in 1940, so I would say the daughter must have had children, she must have remarried, but the name we'd be looking for is Patrice Millicent Kelton, who was a descendant from John and Mary Body. How do you spell that surname again? Well, the surname would be Beatrice, B-E-A-T-R-I-C-E, Millicent, M-I-L-L-I-C-E-N-T. Last name is Kelton, K-E-L-T-O-N, and she would be the daughter of okay. John and Mary Body, B-O-D-Y. Right, okay. So so beyond that, you, you haven't yet any clues to whether there are any living relatives. No, I haven't. I have not got around to researching that aspect of it yet. But I was talking to a number of people, and uh, that's kind of the, the route that I'll be going now. The fact that I'm here in, in the U.S. makes it a little difficult to get the genealogy records or the records in the U.K. Of, so I've got to do more, some more extensive research, and that's why I'm reaching out to your your listenership because I know there's yeah. probably somebody there listening who has easy access to uh, finding out, you know, the uh, the information that I'm I'm, I'm seeking. Right. Did, did you actually find out which part of England he lived in? Yes. Uh, he was born in uh, Cornwall, England. All right, yes. And, uh, as I said, the office was in London uh, for the, uh, the Lloyd Cowdery Mining Company, which, uh, mm. which is still there now under a different name. They're now a publishing house right now, so right. a very large publishing house. Uh, he ended up having a, uh, a mansion, I guess, living in Scotland. So there is, uh, in his later years, uh, he and his wife lived in Scotland. So he must have had a castle at some point. Uh, he, uh, I can tell you he was born in 1867, and he died in 1938, or 1940, actually, May 23rd of 1940. And he, he uh, went to school in, uh, let's see, the city of London is where he did his schooling. And uh, so he's, he's a very astute gentleman there. And, let's see. His professor was Harry Adams. So he went to the city of London College. 
under studied under Professor Harry Adams, and uh, as I said, he spent uh, from 1890 to 1940 working for uh, Sir Wheatman Pearson and Sons Limited, or the Lord Cowjay Mining Company, and for, for the dominant part of his life. And as I said, for 25 years, he uh, executed the work for that company in uh, in Mexico. And yeah. uh, so, I mean, he uh, was definitely an accomplished civil engineer. Matter of fact, uh, there were records I found of him in the American Society of Civil Engineers uh, in his memoirs. So, uh, very accomplished uh, civil engineer. And as I said, initially when I w started the uh, the research, I'm, I said, well, I've got to find a man who's worth, you know, millions of dollars and who, who, who's got to be in his late 60s or, or older. Uh, to match this legend, but lo and behold, there was a man who was worth, you know, a multimillionaire and who was in his late 60s that I found and who was British and did work for the Lloyd Cowdrey Mining Company. So if it walks like a duck, Michael, and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. <laughs> now, thereafter... After discovering this on paper, I had to come out to the West Coast of California to uh, to actually find, you know, what I, where I believe the actual back entrance uh, to uh, this Lemurian uh, civilization was located. And fortunately, I had a map, and the map was of the uh, Mount Shasta Springs Resort that uh, I believe that in the early 1900s that Lord Cowdrey and J.B. Body were frequent when they came across this unusual basalt rock formation. Right. Do, do, do you think that he actually took Lord Cowdery to the caves? Yes. Yes. I, I mean, it would seem odd if he didn't. <laughs> so you have well, yet another, another family who must have or possibly has some information about it. Well, the other family would be Sir Wheatman Pearson. Sir yeah. Wheatman Dickinson Pearson's uh, heirs would be very much aware of uh, what uh, his lieutenant, right-hand man, John Benjamin Body, and, and him had found yeah. in the early 1900s because uh, yeah. they kept this, you know, obviously closely guarded secret. But I'm sure they, you know, they let family members know about this amazing find that they had found, you know, oh, yes. in, the, in the early 1900s. So how could they yeah. not? Yeah, I agree. Now, did you mention something that they found in the caves that I haven't read about? Did you say there was a, uh, an object that looked like a sun? Yes, they found golden streamers that looked like the sun with, uh, as I said, radium and copper that were uh, combined mm. to, to make these objects that in that day and age, uh, you know, we didn't have the technology to make that. So um, no. John Benjamin Body found some things that we, at, in, in the year 1904 and 1907, did not have the mm. capabilities of manufacturing because he was a geologist and, you know, right. involved on major, major pro projects throughout the world. So here's mm. a man who knows construction. That's what he was schooled in. I mean, we, what better authority can you have that someone who's a civil engineer could say, you know, you know we don't have this capability today? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what came into my mind when you mentioned the sun with streamers. I immediately thought of that uh, Egyptian wall painting or carving, whatever you call it, 
uh, in Arkhanaden's time where you had the sun and all these streams coming down from it. I mean, you obviously don't know what it looked like. Presumably that is all you can tell us about it. Right. Well, I could only tell you what I read in the, yes. uh, in the 1934 newspaper article. Because like, I said initially I didn't have that article until Michael Fitzgerald of the Stockton Record, after interviewing me in February of last year of 2008, was kind enough oh, right. to send me the actual article that was in the paper. Yes. And so what I did is I took the time to, to type it all out longhand so that way I could I could read it. But basically, he found the spears that I mentioned, and, and uh, he found the, the 27 skeletons, which I've already mentioned mm -hmm. there, and the, the village that was, that's unbelievable to find a village. And he believed oh, that, yes. that yeah. there were people that had left things haphazardly as though they must have heard him and his party coming. Uh, mm. The streamers were were from the sun, were worked in gold stringers. There were 13, I believe, 13 statues made of gold and copper. That's the end of his quote. Mm. And yeah. he goes on to say, and this is John Benjamin Body or J.C. Brown, what he told the, the newspaper in 1934, and this is what he, what he claimed. He said, these are his words, I believe this race of people forms an important link in ancient American history. They were highly skilled craftsmen, as their work shows, because it was a glow to three of these statues, I believe they were used radium, and they were tempered with copper. So yes. and here's a man who, and then he goes on to end by saying, have you ever read or studied anything about the lost continent of Lemuria? And he's talking now to the, uh, mm. to the newspaper columnist of a, a Stockton record in 34, and he goes on to yes. say, scientists claim it is the connecting link in the story of civilization. I believe here is the key to that lost civilization. So it's his belief yeah. that Lemuria did exist. He found mm. ancient remnants of it, and he was willing in 1934 to take up a party of 80 people to go up to, uh, to an, for an expedition, but I believe he was scared off, and uh, mm. the fact that he had been you know, nearly killed once before, as he mentioned to the group, that yeah. he was very mindful of, you know, is it really worth it? And, and then you, if you think about it, Michael, uh, yeah. Gold fever, the gold rush. I mean, there are many people who found gold, and as soon as people know where their claim was, whatever, they no longer existed. So his probably biggest fear was, too, once I show these people where this is, you know, will my days be numbered as well? Because when greed sets yes. in, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, bad things can happen. So here's a man yes. who's already a made man, so to speak. Yes. He doesn't need the money. And, you know, here he is at this time in 34, he's a grandfather. You know, he's, uh, he's an older man, and he's probably realizing, you know what, this is one secret that may have to be kept secret because yes. there's an American government or there's a British uh, contingency as well that want to keep the colonization going because if you can't con people, Michael, you can't control them. <laughs> I believe entirely. Uh, I have to think, Stephen, that perhaps in those 30 years that he may well have photographed a lot of the artifacts, so perhaps somewhere, perhaps in this bank vault, there may be more than one uh, could imagine. Well, what I'm about to do is I'm going to trek my way down to at some point before the end of the year to uh, or find out the, the bank that I believe in, the Laredo National Bank that does still exist mm -hmm. on... San Bernardino Avenue, if there are any records, uh, which I don't know if there are, hmm. with John Benjamin Body or J.C. Brown having an account there. 
and there would be, you know, one of the, uh, the clues. Uh, and the other clues would have to be uh, in England or in Scotland with the family members as to uh, what he brought back to, uh, you know, to the U.K. Because he had made, uh, uh, in his 40 years or so, he come back and forth to the United States. Yeah. I, I count at least 40 border crossings, uh, but 13 through Mexico. So, you know, he's traveled many, many times in ocean liners coming, you know, from from England to the United States. So it would take a wealthy man to come to come over that many times in his lifetime. So, you know, everything that I see here with uh, John Benjamin Body lets me know that, you know, we have definitely a, a story that needs to be solved completely. And, uh, and I'm hoping that there are people there that are listeners, that someone can pick up the ball and run with it on your side of the ocean. Yes and find some of these clues that I've neatly laid out for you. Because mm -hmm. I'm like the messenger, I'm like the umpire or in, in a soccer game. I'm calling it like I see it. And when the, the dust clears or the, the, the dust settles, you look on the Jumbotron scene, and the umpire's usually got the call right. So I mm -hmm. believe I've made the right call, Michael, and uh, I just believe that the truth lies somewhere in what I've said and that it needs to get out there because we as a people need to know where we've been because if we don't know where we've been how in the world can we chart where we're going indeed yes uh, I can recall reading not too long ago another discovery in caves uh, in the States can't think where it was where they also found these exceptionally tall skeletons now, in your researching of Lemuria, have you found other evidence to support uh, what J.B. Body found? Yes, I, I've, I've. Well, recently, I, uh, I came across a story. It's, uh, and I put up a YouTube video called "The Calaveras Skulls Revealed." But in 1865, I believe, uh, there was some evidence found in a mine in uh, Calaveras County, California. And Michael yeah. Cremo also uh, makes mention of it as well, to uh, mm. an, an unearthed skull that was at least 50 million years old of uh, indigenous or Native American origin. And uh, the gentleman, uh, whose name is jo Josiah D. Whitney, who was the, the archaeologist, although he was the, the chief surveyor for California, and he and his professors of Harvard all agreed that it was the greatest find ever in North America, and then the man was discredited. But there is visible proof that, you know, Native man have, has been here, you know, for over 50 million years in North America. There was another man, Dr. Stanley Lee, who is a, uh, an archaeologist uh, for uh, the Museum of uh, uh, Toronto, I believe, found in, uh, a find in 1951 that he believed was 32 to 50,000 years old that unearthed four primitive uh, peoples, uh, three of which were Native American, Sioux, Salish, and Algonquin, and the fourth he called the bearded white man. And he said that they were up in, uh, in Ontario, in Chaguandal, Ontario, where he found this find, and he said that they then, after the Ice Age, which he claimed was about a lot longer than it was claimed about 30 to 50,000 years ago, the bearded white men went uh, east towards uh, Scandinavia and Europe, and then the Salish came down to the Pacific Northwest, the Sioux came down to the Plain States, and then the Algonquin came down to the Great Lakes, 
and that's how the Native Americans came down to North America. But the fourth group, who was the bearded white man, was interesting, uh, couldn't exist with the three red men, so to speak, and uh, yeah. then went on to Europe or uh, Scandinavia, and uh, I believe they are responsible for the annihilation of the Cro-Magnum man. Mm. And, right. if, you know, it's just interesting that you see today the killing, the, the killing machine still exists, so you just wonder, you know, what have we learned in... Uh, in, in, in uh, 50,000 years, so to speak, you know. Yes. Yeah. Well, I've also read of there being caves in the Grand Canyon, although yep. I think they've been attributed to both the Atlanteans and the Lemurians. Well, Again, if, if I recall correctly, they found skeletons uh, similar to what you've described. Yes, and what I've learned since coming out here that... Uh, the civilization on the Mount Shasta is much older than Lemurian, mm. much older. Right. Predates well, Lemurian. It rained for quite uh, many thousands of years, doesn't it, uh, as far it as one is, can tell? It is a million years old from what I've learned recently. Is it? The civilization. Yeah. So it's a lot older. The, the last technological uh, advanced civilization, which was the Lemurian Atlantean, the last remnants that went in, but but the cave systems, the underground world that that J.C. Brown had claimed to have found was the last civilization that went underground. But they've been under there a million years. Hmm. Because there were I caves recall throughout the world. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, carry on, Steve. No, there were there were caves th throughout the world that spot found. If you if you look at the Vedic. Uh, teaching India, India's oral history of, of um, the beginning of the world. I mean, there are many, many interesting tidbits that you'll find there that our, our Earth is uh, millions of years old and uh, it's been inhabited for over 300 million years by, by man. Uh, man has walked with dinosaur. My, man has uh, survived dinosaur and still lives on this Earth. And we've, we've been around a long time. If you, you look at our own solar system, You've got an asteroid belt, Michael, that yes. could be the remnants of uh, a war of nuclear weapons that exploded a planet. Yes. So, uh, I mean, I'm putting it out there for the simple reason that, you know, the mind is like a parachute. It can only work if it's open. Yeah. Well, it has, in fact, been said that the asteroid belt was the remains of a planet that is generally called Maldek. And it was destroyed uh, in the manner that you mentioned. Well, as I said, I've uh, I've done quite a bit of research on this, and uh, it's interesting, you know, the findings that I've come up with. But the, the more research I do, the more I realize that you know I'm on the right path, and there are a lot of knowledgeable people, more so than I, that'll come forward to me. I've been privy to uh, speaking with a lot of Native Americans and people who are in the know who now are approaching me and say, yeah, you know what, the things that you've discussed, yeah, let me tell you about this or that and the other thing. So I've been fortunate enough to have some validation along the way coming from uh, the East Coast to the West Coast now, which I believe is uh, the West Coast was the, uh, the remains of the lost continent of Lemuria. Hmm. So what is your position now? Where, where do you sort of stand on the whole matter? Well, I sort of stand that the truth will be revealed very shortly and that uh, 
there are many things now that will be coming to light. I mean, we're coming to the age of Aquarius. The Hopi Indians claim that uh, a lot of things will come to light in 2012. So we're coming to a, yeah. an age of enlightenment. I think a lot of people are coming into the realization that, that they're knowing that some of these things that I mentioned will be mm -hmm. coming to light. And if there is an ancient civilization that does exist there and has existed and has flourished, they're waiting for the right time to, yes. to appear. Uh, I, if I totally believe you, uh, and I'm uh, also convinced that 2012 is significant in our evolution. But there is a lot of talk, actually, of the Lemurians still living inside the Earth. Well, you, you have a good point there. I just finished doing an excerpt, which I'm putting up right now, up on... Uh, on YouTube, I, I do a program here in uh, Mount Shasta at the college. It's on mctv15.org and uh, does does tell us really exist. And uh, there are many channelers who uh, believe that it does, and they make make mention of uh, the city, the structure of the city, the the underground network. And uh, these stories have uh, all all over the world. All different cultures share these same viewpoints and stories. So. I meet many people on the mountain of Mount Shasta. I spend some time on the mountain now because I'm here in Mount Shasta right now. And I, I, I got here in April, and I'm still here in, uh, in late September and with no signs of when I'm leaving doing a show here. But right. I've, I learned that people come here from all over the world because there is a belief that this is the cradle of civilization. And I, I, I believe, and I now hold that same belief, Michael. Yeah. I've certainly heard many times that people believe there is a very special portal there. Well, I believe that there is, as I said, I've, I've, I've now been privileged to be around people that are very spiritual and uh, mm. enlightened beings that come here, and I'm starting to see firsthand evidence of uh, what the Lemurian uh, mindset is and, and what they want for us to do to elevate, to go from the third to the fifth dimension. Yeah. And uh, I've been with some channelers, people who, uh, who pretty much are in tune with that, and what I've learned mm. about... There is a civilization there under Mount Shasta, and yes. uh, they're waiting for the time is right. There are people who go in etherically into the mountain and not in the 3D. Uh -huh. And uh, I did find the back entrance, as I mentioned, to uh, I found J.C. Brown's or J.B. Body's entrance, which lied 11 miles exactly, you know, to, to the distance of what he claimed it was, you know, that led underneath Mount Shasta. So... I have no doubt that there is a physical entrance. It's been sealed up uh, now, so you cannot get access to it. It's on a private property, so I will respect that, and I will, I will just let that stay for this particular time. But I do believe that when the time is right, that a great thinker will appear, so to speak, and yes. they will let us know that you know we're not alone. We've been here. But it's interesting, if you look into the UFO uh, topic, and many, many of the mountain ranges, a lot of activity has been seen uh, above the mountains. People have seen yes. craft going into the mountains. I myself have seen things in Mount Adams. I've seen things here in Mount Shasta that defy conventional uh, you know, uh, technology that we have here on this planet. So yes. I, I have no doubt that you know, there is an inner earth and that there are people that have been here. Even in the Bible, it talks about, uh, you know, uh, things about, you know, uh, the Garden of Eden and where it might exist and, uh, 
the Garden of Eden is probably in the inner earth, you know, uh, in the city near Shambhala, and all the things that we've, we've just thought was myth or legend may very well be fact, Michael. Yes. Now, Stephen, it's been terrifically interesting and the time's flying by. I would like you to give our listeners your website address and email address if you're prepared to take uh, inquiries or questions from people. Yes, uh, we'll start with my email address. My email address is screenwriter2012 at gmail.com. That's screenwriter2012 at gmail.com. And uh, my website, for those who want to uh, learn more about The Legend of J.C. Brown, it's my name, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Sindoni, S-I-N-D-O-N-I, dot, webs webs dot com so that's stevensandoni dot webs dot com and I also have a site on YouTube it's youtube dot com uh, the uh, forward slash sindoni revealed fifty three my last name it'll be sindoni revealed fifty three where I have probably about a hundred different videos I've got a number of other interviews interesting like yours here today on uh, my YouTube site I've been on coast to coast AM and a number of others on uh, your station, BBS Radio. And I want to thank BBS uh-huh. and you, Michael, for, for allowing me to continue uh, getting the message out on BBS. Uh, your, uh, your producer, director, and everybody involved with your station has uh, you. well, been a blessing for me, and I thank you immensely today. You're welcome. It's wonderful to have you on the program. I think it might be wise to repeat that YouTube address because that's obviously going to be of interest. Okay, it's Y-O-U-T-U-B-E dot com the backslash, and then it's S-I-N-D as in David, O-N-I, R-E-V-E-A-L-E-D, revealed, and 50, the number 53. So that's Sindoni Revealed 53, but that's right, on YouTube. Okay. If, you that's simply took, if you simply took my name, Stephen Sindoni, and Googled it on the videos, it's probably about 500 videos or 600 videos, I lost count, oh, uh, attached to my name. <laughs> Really? Oh, my goodness, that's wonderful. Well, it's uh, really been extremely interesting. I'm sure you could have spoken longer, but we certainly covered the main thrust of your adventures, I call them, and who knows where it might yet lead. Uh, I think your email address is very useful. Just in case, you never know who's listening in and might be able to help you in your research uh, in England or Scotland, so you, you never know what comes up. So it sounds to me as though you're being guided, Stephen, and uh, you've been inspired, I think, to find the cave again, so who knows what will happen. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been told that, you know, I'm, I was the one who, who, who was supposed to bring this forward, and uh, so I'm doing uh, the missionary work, and I'm doing what I was told I needed to do, and I'm going to stay on this as long as I can, because yeah. I realize that life changes when we do, and uh, for a planet that's been around 300 million years, it's time that we love one another and we realize that we are all connected on this planet and others and that to believe that we are the only civilized life in the universe is mm. utterly absurd. I think that's a fantastic way to end the program. Thank you very much for coming on to it. I've got about a minute left, I think, <laughs> to tell our listeners who is on next week. And that will be Catherine Richardson who is a galactic guide to spiritual expansion, and she's written a book called The Starfleet Messages. 
which we will obviously discuss in the program. So I'm looking forward to that one. So thank you very much for being with me today. And I do hope you can be with me next week. God bless you all. Thank you.